Hello and welcome to our Reorg Europe podcast. My name is Luca Rossi and I'm a reporter here at Reorg. With me I have financial analysts Lawrence Fitzpatrick and Rob Sommers and senior legal analyst Chetna Mystery. This week we will focus on two of the most topical situations in the market, one in Germany, which is the heat exchangers group Galapagos, for which we have a long-form legal analysis on our website, the other in Spain, which is the supermarket chain Dia. Rob, what is going on with Galapagos? Thanks, Luca. The German heat exchangers group faces just over a year until its RCF matures in May 2020. However, with declining EBITDA, operational difficulties, high leverage, and constrained cash flows, it is unlikely that its banks will agree to renew the facility unless the company restructures the rest of its capital structure. This issue is further compounded because going concern considerations in Germany are analyzed on an 18-month going-forward basis by auditors. Interesting. You recently put together some analysis on the name. What did you find out? Well, we see that, in all but our upside case, the company will run out of money at some point between this year and 2022. Further, it is likely to breach its minimum EBITDA covenant in the coming months. This is a problem because it restricts crucial cash drawings that the company will need to make as it faces its working capital cycle peak in the second or third quarter. In terms of our waterfall analysis, assuming that Galapagos remains a going concern, we project that senior secured note holders recover at par in our upside case, at 81% in our base case, and at 60% in our downside case. However, in a liquidation, which triggers 375 million euros of super senior guarantees, this falls to 29% in our upside case, 8% in our base case, and zero in our downside case. Going down the capital structure, Galapagos's senior notes receive zero in all but one scenario are most optimistic, where they recover only 6.4%. So where will things go from here? It's interesting. It's clear that the group's capital structure is not viable. However, there is clear value in the business remaining a going concern. So this begs the question of what a sustainable debt structure looks like, and this in turn depends on what we expect a steady state level of EBITDA to be. But this is difficult to project as so far management hasn't been able to execute its long-anticipated operational turnaround. What we do know is that, historically, the core of the group, Kelvion, has seen tremendous variation in unadjusted EBITDA, recording 99.5 million euros in 2015 and 30.1 million in 2016. Now, if Galapagos, as represented only by Kelvion, can increase its EBITDA to 75 million euros annually, then, based on five times total leverage, it could sustain 375 million of debt. This is a reasonable target and would cover the 333.5 million euros of senior secured notes and provide headroom for leases and RCF drawings. However, even a better size capital structure could fail to stem the group's, group's liquidity problems. Over the past 12 months, Galapagos has spent 38.5 million euros on cash interest payments slightly higher than the 38.2 million of EBITDA reported over the period. Therefore, a restructuring will likely require bondholders to accept a combination of equity and or being paid at least some of their interest in kind. Thanks, Rob. Chetna, you've done the legal analysis on Galapagos. How could a restructuring play out? 
Thanks, Luca. So basically, there are a few options available to the group, which are largely structured around a debt for equity swap and an amend and extend of the debt. One of the more feasible options could be a full exchange of the senior 2022 notes for equity with an amend and extend of the senior secured 2021 notes. The debt for equity swap would remove the obligation to repay any outstanding capital on the notes and extinguish the interest burden on the group by 17.5 million euros per year. An amend and extend of the 2021 notes to relax some of the covenants, extend the maturity date and pick the interest would also help to further alleviate the debt burden. Another scenario similar to the one I just mentioned would see the debtor's liquidity concerns addressed by fully equitizing the 2022 notes in exchange for shares at the Holdco level, coupled with a partial equitization of the 2021 notes, also in exchange for shares or similar equity Holdco instruments, and an amend and extend of the remaining 2021 notes, again as described under the option I just mentioned. Equitizing both of the notes in this way would help to right-size the group's capital structure and deferring the interest payments under the remainder of the senior secured notes would also help to alleviate the company's interest burden. Both of these options could deliver a consensual deal depending on the outcome of the equity discussions given sponsor Triton's existing 90% controlling stake in Holdco. Both of the scenarios would mean that its share is diluted. Okay, interesting. Uh, Are there any more aggressive approaches which advisors could be pitching in this situation? So basically, a more aggressive approach could involve a partial debt for equity swap of the 2021 notes with a debt for debt exchange or refinancing using either a scheme or a security enforcement process where the group would effectively be cut off at the neck and there would be a disposal of the business to some kind of special purpose vehicle owned by the senior secured notes and Triton, obviously subject to certain other considerations. Here, the business would be transferred unencumbered by the 2022 notes, which would effectively be written off. Given the fact that um, this option would be non-consensual and hostile in nature, The advisors to the 2021 notes would be especially focused on the wording of the intercreditor agreement, particularly the release provisions, as well as any jurisdictional tax and valuation concerns. They would also be keen to consider and mitigate against any claims raised by the 2022 note holders in relation to the transaction. It's an interesting situation given the dynamics between the various stakeholders who may have conflicting interests. Lawrence, it's been a busy week for DIA, the Spanish supermarket company. Can you provide an update on the situation? Of course. So over the course of the last week, uh, DIA's largest shareholder, Letter One, which owns a 29% stake in DIA, announced its intention to conduct a voluntary tender offer for the remaining shares in the company. Now, this tender offer, which is priced at 67 cents per share, is expected to be tabled within the next month and represents a premium of around 56% to the prior day's close. As part of the tender, Letter One would commit to its pro rata share of a new uh, 500 million rights issue post tender and underwrite the remaining amount. Now, there are two things that are interesting about the tender in our view. Firstly, the timing. Letter One has to press ahead with its tender off in the next month. 
This means uh, that the tender will take place prior to DIA's shareholder vote on its own um, 600 million euro rights issue. Now, Letter 1 has stated that it does not support DIA's plan, and thus a successful tender for Letter 1 would cement their blocking stake and enable them to replace management, enact their own capital raise in concert with, in their words, negotiating a viable long-term capital structure for DIA. The second interesting point is Letter 1 has stated 50% acceptance threshold, which Letter 1 needs to attain to avoid having to make a mandatory takeover bid for the remaining shares under Spanish takeover law. Now, should they get less, a mandatory offer would have to be made at the equitable price, which is the highest amount that Letter 1 has paid over the last 12 months for shares. And this could be several times the offer price and, and potentially uneconomic uh, for Letter 1. So we heard that Letter 1 is aiming to achieve a consensual workout of DS capital structure, so mainly an extension of maturities. However, talks about that haircut are still premature, according to sources we spoke to. What's, in your opinion, the viable capital structure Letter 1 has in mind? So we believe that uh, all options are on the table at present for Letter 1. Clearly, extensions are going to have to be part of the solution. Uh, with roughly 800 million euros of maturities this year, much of this will need to be extended or refinanced. But equally, uh, the capital structure feels stretched and it feels that the business might struggle to support the current, current capital structure, hence why both Letter 1 and DIA's plans involve an equity injection. Now, it remains to be seen if Letter 1 would additionally attempt to extract execute principal reductions, but the thresholds to achieve through, for example, an English scheme of arrangement or a Spanish homologation judicial process would both require 75% consent to execute further principal reductions, um, with the English scheme requiring further fulfilment of further jurisdiction and numerosity tests. Now, Letter 1's negotiating power is somewhat limited in this regard, given where the 2019 bonds trade around 91 and Letter 1's position at the base of the capital structure. DIA also reported its uh, full year results after Letter 1's offer. Was there anything of interest? Uh, there certainly was. Now, results were largely in line with expectations, which had been guided down, uh, but the company did provide more details around its proposed 600 million euro rights issue. Now, this rights issue is currently underwritten by Morgan Stanley, subject to it refinancing its capital structure with long-term funding. And DIA also revealed that it has indicative support, in their words, from its bank lenders to extend the new, new secured facilities due in May out to 2023, subject in turn to a successful rights issue. So it seems that DIA could well execute the rights issue and refinance the cap structure, but that picture would all change if Letter 1 are able to take control before they're able to do this. Uh, how do you see this situation uh, playing out eventually? I think we see a period of intense uh, activity once Letter 1 uh, releases its final offer or its detailed offer. And given the breakdown in relations between the parties, the differing views on strategies and the communications thus far, I do not expect DIA to recommend Letter 1's offer to their shareholders. Instead, they will likely seek to argue against it, potentially through valuation arguments. But should Letter 1 get control, investors will focus on outcomes around negotiations on the capital structure. The banks have indicated willingness to extend the secured facilities, according to DIA, in return for a capital increase. So I don't see this as being a stumbling block, if that is all that Letter 1 letter one wants. However, if it wants a further debt haircut 
the thresholds to force a principal reduction on the unsecured bonds look pretty challenging, given letter one's position at the base of the capital structure and the current trading levels of the 2019 bonds. If letter one's tender offer fails, letter one could still attempt to block the rights issue with its 29% stake, or at least threaten to do so uh, to try and extract capital structure concessions or to coerce management to recommend a subsequent offer. Thanks, Lawrence, and thanks to everyone who listened to our podcast this week. You will be hearing back from us in two weeks' time.